for a dive His ex-bitch went up against me But she didn't survive On applications, I write pressure Cause that's what I apply Pressure apply Can't fuck a regular guy Wetter than umbrellas And stickier than apple pie I can lick it, I can ride it While you slipping and sliding I can do all them little tricks And keep the dick up inside it You can smack it, you can grip it You can go down and kiss it And every time he leave me long He always tell me he miss it He wanna Down. Like what the fuck the same Burberry custom brown He said could you throw it back when you touch the ground And he said throw that pussy purr I said yuck me out Hold up Fuck boys ain't no need for you to roll up Ain't no need for you to double tap Never scroll up Kick these bitches on their toes like Manola Be on the lookout when I come through Bolo Oh Wow Elegant bitch with a hoe Glow If it ain't big then I won't Blow Any 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 More Fuck is the T I just F the G Made him say uh Just ask Master P Ball so hard I just took a knee Give me Rocky ASAP Nigga worth the rig
and that was uh, a kiss by the driver era and now i am here with uh, natasha sutton who is the su uh, environmental officer and has just been to the cop 27 in egypt with the ucc delegation hey natasha how are you hi Aaron. good thanks thanks for having me on no worries um so we're just gonna uh, hop into a little chat here so just to start us off uh why don't you tell us who you are where you're from what you're studying basic details perfect my name is natasha i am a final year law student here in ucc and i'm from planacility in west cork but i'm also involved with the international development society and the environmental society here in ucc as well and i'm the current environmental and sustainability representative on the su fab um, and how did you get involved with kind of environmentalism, climate action, activism in general? I suppose it was back when I was in school, I was involved in the concerned debates in TY and that kind of fostered an interest in me in terms of international development and global development issues. And then that progressed, I went to Malawi with concern and I got really invested in kind of the issues affecting the developing world mainly. And then when I came to UCC, there was ample opportunities to get involved. So I just kind of took the bull by the horns and got involved. Fab. Um, and what do you do in your role on the student union? Essentially, my role as environmental and sustainability rep is to ensure that the union is acting as greenly as possible. I sit on a number of committees and I engage with the, the Green Campus Committee, the Environmental Society Committee, and I kind of look at the policies as well to ensure that the university is acting in its best in terms of sustainability. So at the moment, a couple of things that I'd be working on would be the single-use plastic-free policy and the sustainable sponsorship working guidelines policies. Fab. Um, well, main event main reason for the interview is last week you were at COP27 in Egypt with UCC um, and UCC is the only university in Ireland to have observer status at COP so we had a delegation sent over and you were one of the members of that delegation um, so I suppose the first thing to ask um, for people who might not be so aware is what is COP? Yeah, so the university sent a delegation to COP. Um, there was five people in the first week and five people in the second week. And we essentially have observer status at COP. So COP stands for Conference of the Parties. It's the main decision-making body of the UNFCCC. There's a lot of kind of big words and kind of jargon associated with COP, but the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change is where it all started. And all states that are parties to that convention are represented at COP. So COP isn't a, a one-off thing. It happens each year. And this one happened to be the 27th one. Fab. Um, so how come you were able to attend COP as a student or young person? And, or like, how were you chosen and how was the delegation in general chosen? I was lucky enough to be chosen as part of the UCC delegation. So the delegation was made up of a range of people ranging from PhD students to postdoc students to academics and also undergrad students. So I think the important thing to note is UCC does have, have observer status and observer status essentially means that we can follow the negotiations, ensure that the public are as, as aware as they can be about what's happening at COP and that they can access the information in a transparent way. And also 
cops are not open to the public. All participants have to be duly accredited. So there's a number of badges at COP. There's press badges, party badges, party overflow badges. So again, there is a bit of a complex nature around COP. But Dr. Fiona Rogan here in UCC ensure that a UCC delegation can go to COP each year and can engage with the government delegation at COP, which is great. Fab. Um, generally, how did you find the experience? It's a bit of a, a mixed bag, to be honest. Um, it was a bit overwhelming. The sheer size of the venue was nothing that I could have anticipated beforehand. It was also highly inaccessible, I would say. Um, even something so simple as the pavements were kind of not fully um, created. So there was like slips, little slips and little cracks in the pavements that would kind of deter people who maybe have low mobility in going to COP and then the daily schedule was only available each morning so it was kind of a, a rush and a hectic nature but of course it was great to meet a number of people from varying backgrounds and it was great to have that space to ensure that each and every person has their voice listened to but I would say overall the kind of structure of it was a bit overwhelming. Yeah I could imagine that there's a lot of people there and a lot of voices. <laughs> so um if there's anything, what do you think needs to change about COP? Um, so I think, as I've stated, the accessibility of COP needs to change and the kind of general awareness of COP needs to change. The objective of the UNF C is to stabilise greenhouse gas emissions. But unfortunately, with this COP, there wasn't much of an emphasis on greenhouse gas emissions. Um, prior to the beginning of COP, the COP president suggested that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius was extremely fragile and needed to be worked upon. And this wasn't done. There was references to it, but there was no concrete language. And I think this vagueness around the agreements that are created at COP are something that needs to be looked at and needs to kind of change in order to accommodate the most vulnerable in our societies and in our, our world. Absolutely. Um, and like you said, COP for you was a bit overwhelming. I could imagine it being a very draining event. Um, but on a bit more of a sort of a happy note, did any event or moments particularly give you hope or inspiration? Yeah, I think um, one of the main things that gave me hope or inspiration was that there was a children and youth pavilion at COP, which was great. It was the first of its kind and it was an open space for children and young people to go to and relax or discuss different initiatives with their peers. And a lot of the young climate activists from across the globe were based out of this pavilion and it was kind of a very relaxed atmosphere that encouraged people to debrief, de-stress and think about what they really wanted to achieve from the COP. And there was also a people's plenary um, during one of the days at COP, which was essentially a panel discussion from a number of different speakers from varying backgrounds. So there was a women and gender representative, a youth representative, a trade union representative an environmental NGO representative and a disability representative. And each of these people spoke about the areas that they were 
um, most affected in and kind of represented these areas and represented what they wanted to see achieved at COP. And this led to a march and a, a sit-in, which was great. There was a number of great advocacy actions, which were all approved prior to COP and approved during COP. There was a number of these actions that were incredibly moving and incredibly inspiring and kind of encouraged a new generation of climate activists. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's maybe unpack a bit what came out, actually came out of COP27, because it's obviously... For a lot of people, they won't be aware of kind of what happened, what actually was promised beyond kind of seeing a headline here or there. So um, from my brief research yesterday, (laughs) um, the main kind of things that were mentioned were the loss and damage fund, uh, 1.5 degrees, fossil fuels and gas, um, and then the IPCC. So um, the loss and damage fund, uh, what is that what I have here is basically that it was like an agreement um, basically for developing countries that have been, they've been seeking financial assistance for loss and damage caused by uh, climate change, extreme weather. Um, And there was kind of a a fund set up or an agreement for a fund made at COP. Yeah, I think the best way to put it is an agreement for a fund. Um, I think it's important to stress from the offset that this isn't a new phenomenon. Um, developing countries have been seeking financial assistance for years. They've been affected by droughts, by flooding, other climate emergencies for years. And it is only now that COP has decided to instigate a loss and damage fund. There was talks about last year at COP26 in Glasgow, but it never was developed to fruition last year. And it is historic in, in its nature. It is great that there is a loss and damage agreement in place, but it is lacking in a number of key areas. And um, many people probably would have seen the COP had to be extended by, by two days in order to facilitate negotiations that were still ongoing. So the loss and damage fund was only agreed in the early hours of Sunday morning. Negotiations were overnight, so people were tired by the time it was agreed. And... A lot of countries, uh, particularly from the developing world, had to go home at this point. They could not fund people to stay another two, three nights. It just wasn't feasible for them. And by the time it was agreed, it was unfortunately rushed and therefore was was lacking in a number of areas. Um, The EU and the US had been arguing that existing funds should be repurposed, so we should use the funds that we already have, but put them towards loss and damage. And it was only on Friday, I believe, that they kind of changed their mind and came to an agreement. Um, I suppose the key issues where the agreement is lacking is that while Ireland did pledge 10 million to the fund, Unfortunately, none of the pledges from any of the countries, including Ireland, are included in the agreement. So there's no kind of total amount to the agreement. Um, There's no, I suppose, agreement again on where the funding will come from. And there's no agreement on what constitutes a payout. When do countries pay out? Um, And I suppose this all leads to the fact that there is kind of no understanding of the urgency of our climate crisis from a lot of these um, government delegations. There is no kind of realisation that we can't wait till COP28 
COP29. It can't keep being pushed off because all these kind of fine lines of the loss and damage agreement are set to be agreed at COP28. But we saw that the 1.5 target was supposed to be agreed at this COP and it wasn't. So it kind of poses the question, will it be the same again next year? Yeah, absolutely. It does seem to be every year it's pushed off a little bit more. Um, Talking about the 1.5 uh, degrees, was that, like you were saying, that was meant to be a focus of COP this year. Um, but it seems this year that some countries tried to kind of pedal back on the promises they made last year. Um, and the... It says here from my notes um, that the resolution to cause emissions to peak by 2025, so have 2025 be the year that we peak on emissions, was taken out as well, Uh, which isn't great. (laughs) No, the agreement on 1.5 really wasn't great at all. It was agreed at the conclusion of COP26 in Glasgow that 1.5 degrees Celsius was the target. Um, But unfortunately, there's also a failure to realise that this is a limit this is the absolute like minimum. It needs to be lower, but unfortunately, at the moment, it's not going to be. And during COP, some delegations were adamant that 2.8 degrees would be okay. And this kind of, um, I suppose, disillusion is not acceptable anymore. And it was a kind of failure on the part of all delegations to see that 1.5 needed to be agreed. Um I suppose the 1.5 degrees Celsius stemmed from academics and researchers in this area and it is it has a great founding in science and it has been proven that this is the needed requirement. Um, in the Paris Agreement, it was stressed that emissions should be reduced to 2 degrees, but ideally 1.5. And again, we see here the lack of concrete language. Um, there is a, a reference to 1.5, but there is not a clear indication that 1.5 will be achieved. Yeah, I know. I've seen a lot of scientists saying that like two degrees has been determined like that that is not safe. Even 1.5, probably not safe. But like, like you said, it's the bare minimum that we have to achieve. Um, but I as yeah. well, um, geopolitical tensions have been blamed a lot. Um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, for example, was being used as almost clickbait to deter from the 1.5 conversation. But I don't think personally that this is acceptable. I think that, if anything, these tensions should be showing the need for global solidarity and the need for global collaboration. And I think there is a basic understanding that developing nations cannot undertake the burden of climate emergencies. They are affected the most, but unfortunately they contribute the least. And I think 1.5 is the bare minimum that they deserve, essentially. Yeah. Um, now moving on to fossil fuels and gas as well. Um, last year at Glasgow, uh, a commitment to phase down the use of coal was agreed. Um, and that was the first time a resolution on fossil fuels had been included in the final text. Um, but this year, um, there was a lot of debate around the fossil fuels, uh, question and, it, I don't, from what I can see, it just didn't really change much from last year and kind of maybe went backwards a little bit. 
Yeah, that's completely correct. If anything, it was just a reiteration of what was agreed last year. There was no movement on any of the goals agreed last year. And it does tie in with the 1.5 degree target. Um, essentially, the spirit of 1.5 is alive, but the, the text is weak. Um, I think it's important to note that it was counted that 636 fossil fuel lobbyists were at COP over mm. the course of, of two weeks. So if anything, this is a loophole for people to deter from their agreements on fossil fuels. And it can be seen as a, a almost a fossil fuel trade fair that yeah. these fossil fuel lobbyists are just there to kind of promote their own agenda. Yeah, I saw the numbers of like fossil fuel delegates was up 25% on last year, which I don't know if that's to do with the fact that uh, they were kind of in the Middle East, which is known for oil. But yeah, that was um, not exactly what you expect at like a kind of environmental conference. No, it wouldn't be exactly what you'd expect. And I think there was questions raised as to whether it was almost a power move to try and encourage delegations to um, go away from the, the phasing down or the phasing out of fossil fuels and kind of look towards natural gas or biogas and different things like that. Um, I think it's important to note as well that developing countries were looking for the Glasgow Agreement to be altered in such a way that it wouldn't refer to the phasing down of fossil fuels it would refer to the phasing out of all fossil fuels but this wasn't included in the the cover text and I suppose this was seen as a necessity in terms of advancing last year's agreement but unfortunately as like previously mentioned there was just no advancement at all. Perfect um and lastly the kind of the IPCC which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change um, published a key, key assessment of climate science, kind of giving a, basically a warning um, that catastrophic impacts can only be averted by sharp and urgent cuts in greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and basically the IPCC was set up by the UN to advise on science, um, but its findings were not really taken as um, as much on board as some of us may have wished. <laughs> um, uh, I know that um, I follow uh, Dr. Tara Shine, who is part of uh, this and also a good family friend. <laughs> I follow her on Twitter and she was, you know, tweeting kind of her frustration at the kind of changing of the wording in some of the agreements referencing uh, their assessment and their publication that it was just kind of ignored basically um but yeah any comments on IPCC at all or I completely agree I think it was ignored and I think many of us would have hoped and would have almost expected that these findings would be taken into consideration the IPCC presents the most advanced and the most recent findings on global warming and climate change and they're made up of a panel of experts from various different backgrounds um, but it also highlights the responsibility of humans in terms of how we can change our ways to encourage people to be more sustainable and I think within their report they stressed that the world is close to a tipping point which is frightening but unfortunately it is the harsh reality of the climate emergency and I think that if we fail to achieve 1.5 
there will be irreversible damage. Now, there already is irreversible damage in terms of people are losing their livelihoods, are losing their lives. But two key examples that the IPCC stress are that forests will die and sea levels will continue to rise. And I think these kind of harsh realities of the climate crisis are where we as humans can raise awareness of such crises. Um, On that note, how can people listening get involved in climate action? Um, Well, I think people listening will predominantly be from UCC. So I think firstly, in terms of um, UCC, there's a number of initiatives. There's the Green Campus who will be actively recruiting for committee members quite shortly. And there's also the Environmental Society, which people are most welcome to join. Um, The International Development Society, which both of us are members (laughs) of. So we kind of have to plug that. Absolutely. Um, So please join. Um, And you don't have to be a climate expert. I think that's Mm. the main thing to reiterate you can just have a knowledge and especially just taking in dev for example um most of us would be from varying backgrounds and whether your knowledge lies in law or whether it lies in international development or environmental science even all opinions are greatly valued and greatly appreciated within UCC and there is kind of that collaboration but I suppose more widely, I suppose the main thing at the moment is raising awareness and ensuring that the public knowledge of COP is good knowledge and it is transparent and that the delegations are held accountable. Absolutely. Um, well, that kind of wraps up the interview portion of the show today. Um, any final comments, Natasha, before we finish or are you all good? <laughs> Um, I'm all good, but I, I'd encourage people to read widely on COP if you're at all interested and kind of see the varying opinions because some people have been referring to it as flop 27 <laughs> while others see the agreement on loss and damage as a historic event and something really symbolic and possibly the most symbolic thing to come out of COP since the Paris Agreement. Um, but I would encourage you to kind of form your own opinions on that and kind of just see where you can get involved with the, the process. Absolutely. Um, so that wraps up the interview portion for today. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Natasha. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, we're going to tune back in uh, to our music section. Um, you are listening to UCC 98.3 FM. It is currently 10.28. And next up we have... Oh, my music is not playing what it's meant to be playing. One second. We have Dance Dance by Fall Out Boy. She says she's no good with words, but I'm worse. But started out a joke of a romantic stuck to my tongue. Way down with words too over dramatic. Tonight is a can't get much worse. Worse, no one should ever feel like it. Fold just before you found out. Drink up this last call, last resort. But only the first mistake. I'm too cool to. 
And that was Coffee by Tyler Jane. And just before that, we've never been better by Leah Kate. It's currently 10.36am. You are listening to UCC 98.3 FM. Today with me, I had Natasha Sutton on the show. And if any of you missed that interview, it should be uh, podcasted and up on the UCC 98.3 FM Spotify later today if you would like to listen back. Once again, this is UCC 98.3 FM. And up next, we have Georgia by Thomas Heaton. It's not a name, but it's still a state I've never tried to act as straight Then talking to her 
And that was Trainwreck, 1979, from Death From Above, 1979. Um, You are listening to UCC 98.3 FM. It is currently 10.46 AM, and this is Objection with Aaron. Um, Next up, we have Weekend Friend by Goth Babe. Oh, 
said I left it there And I saw your face and hands Covered in sun and then
What Makes Me Love You by The Regrets. Just before that, we had Don't Take the Money by Bleachers. You are listening to UCC 98.3 FM. This is Objection with Aaron. It is currently 10.56 AM, so this is your final warning. If you have an 11 AM class, you need to get moving. Um, I am going to sign off, say goodbye now, as uh, we are coming to the end of my hour. To see us out, we have uh, Wet Dream by Wet Leg and I'm in Love With You by the 1975. I will see you next week at 10 a.m. again with another uh, wonderful interview. So once again, this is Wet Dream by Wet Leg.